we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,141 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside supposedly Bruce Adams. He's uh, he's stepped away for just a minute, but the uh, the fan favorite, Lord Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? It's good to see you. I'm very well. Thank you very much. Good to see you. We, As you say, we did see Bruce earlier, and because we're watching each other on the video feed, uh, it was kind of like the start of, of a really bad 70s adult movie because um, the doorbell went and it, it was the plumber. So Bruce has disappeared off. So I'm I'm glad we're being spared whatever is going on in the background. <laughs> he did say that he's got some problems that need to be fixed. So you know, one yeah, could only I'm, assume. I I don't know. I'm betting that that plumber has has got a, a tiny white vest on and a great big mustache. All right, family show. So we're gonna have to move on. All right, Marty. Uh, today we're going to uh, get into some of the the research that we've been doing here for the past couple of weeks because now's the time where we can start talking about what we've been doing. So it's not going to be a big secret anymore. Uh, now and now I, I feel like I feel like the student who hasn't prepared for the test. Oh, you've prepared. So, we've been corresponding ever since this started. So, and you, you know, we had a we had a working. How, how do I put it? We we had several work meetings on the matter before we even began delving into it, uh, yeah. and we're still not finished. And there's other things to this that I haven't told you about yet. And so I'll I'll have to talk to you about that on the side later because this will be something else that that we'll get into at a later time. We don't have time to get into it now, but. We needed to verify what we were about to talk on and what we've been researching into now. And again, we're still doing that, but it has been probably one of the most eye-opening experiences since we've started all of this. And I know that I've been kind of building this up over the last month or so, but the magnitude of this, well, I think you said it last week, Marty, it, it takes some believing. It, it really does, because the deception here is so monstrous that it's difficult for even people like myself who delve in this stuff quite frequently to even wrap my head around it. It's taken some time and it's it's still but I mean, we're on the right track now, I believe. And there's more to come. And the steps that we've taken thus far you know, I was talking to Ned about this uh, last week, and and he said, well, actually, it wasn't last week; it was a few days ago. Because he he got another piece of this puzzle, which I'm sure that he's told you all about. Yeah, he was saying to me, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with him that to acquire these these uh, pieces of, of literature and stuff that, that we're having to get, 
that explain all of this. All of this has been kept from people. It's it's not that it's unavailable. It's not that you need some type of uh, you know security clearance or anything. This is all open source information that anybody can go and look up, and we're going to tell you how to do that as we go through all of this. But the cost of this, and I mean financially, the cost of this, some of these things, some of this, this uh, literature that we're acquiring, some of these things are hundreds of, you know, they've been upwards of thousands of dollars or euros or, or pounds. And that's wrong. That's just wrong. Well, it's it's it is wrong, but it's also very obvious that that's what would happen. People always say everyone's got a book in them. That's probably true, but some of some people's books would be either unprintable or absolutely tedious. All of these these books that have been produced, they may well reveal plans and the truth. However, they were quickly put out of print. They they're not they weren't exactly flying off the shelves. Uh, and so some people would have got lucky way back when they were first published and and got them very very cheaply. But now they are becoming rare because they as you told me earlier on, they they weren't reprinted. There was one print run for many of these books. And then people started to realize, oh, we don't want that information out there. But of course, you've got things called reference libraries and copyright libraries, and they get copies of every book that is ever printed. And so they are available. They are there. And I don't want to uh, you know, steal your thunder, but no, go on, you know, go on. that's one way of finding this information out for yourself is to go to, uh, you know, email them go to their websites of the copyright libraries and ask and ask for for a loan of the book or a digital copy or a scan and these things are available but to actually find hard copy in a bookshop or an online seller you are talking hundreds and thousands of dollars to get this information I have been able to get what I've been able to get within reason. I, eBay's been my best friend through a lot of this. Uh, I've I've got another one arriving tomorrow, actually, and it is. I've not found that book for less than than uh, around three hundred dollars, uh, three hundred euros, or, or whatever price. You know, it doesn't really matter because it it's all the same price any any site you get it from. But I got lucky enough to where I got it for around 70. Uh, I got it, or I'm sorry, 50 pounds is what I paid for it. And I didn't yeah. even think twice on it. Didn't even think twice on it. I hit buy right now, uh, you know, buy it now. I didn't even wait. Uh, and there's another one here. Uh, and I will get into all these titles of all these books, uh, but there's another one here. Uh, and this has not been less than about the same price, about 250 to $300. And I got this one. There was a, a private seller. Uh, I offered him 30. He was selling it for 50. I offered him 35 and he took it and sent it to me a couple of days later. Uh, and it's in immaculate condition. But again, one printing and a lot of these things had to be done in England uh, because the American printers, uh, American publishers wouldn't print them. So this research that we're delving into that we've uh, kind of been sitting around and we've been thinking since the start of this COVID, Great Reset, all the rest of it, something hasn't been right. Something's been off. We've been scratching our heads over and over and over again thinking, okay, this is seeming more and more like it's it's something that we already know. You look at the World Economic Forum, guys like Klaus Schwab. You see Klaus Schwab, he gives a speech from his office, you know, one of his little video presentations or, or whatever it is he does. The guy has a bust of Lenin on his shelf behind him. Okay, well, 
Maybe, you know, he, maybe he's a Leninist. I don't know. Then he goes over and he gets all buddy-buddy with China, says, oh, yeah, China's the model. You know, they've done a great job. The U.S. has been in bed with China, and the West really has been in bed with China for a good number of years, and there's a reason for that. We'll get into that. But the agendas that we get pushed onto us, for example, again, World Economic Forum, that's what everybody's focused on. And as we sat here and we looked over and over, we thought, wait a minute, something doesn't seem right because... If you see what they want you to see, that's how it's meant to be. If you look at the opening ceremony of the European Management Symposium, you only see one face. Just one. Marty, I don't know if you've seen that photo. Have I showed you that photo before? Uh, I don't recall. Normally, okay. I've got a mind like a steel trap. Here we go. No, you won't oh, yes. be able to forget this. This is from the opening ceremony of the World, or excuse me, well, not, we call it the World Economic Forum now, but it was the European Management Symposium in 1971. Yeah. As you can see, there is only one face there. You have shown me this photograph before. Uh-huh. Uh, and quite frankly, what? how many people we got there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people. They've all got, well, most of them have got pointy hats on. Very, very sort of symbolic of the clan, I'm afraid to say. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of wizards, pointy hats. And then you've got one creature with a mob cap on. And seven of the, the figures have all got their faces concealed by basically nightmare masks. I, there's, there's no other way to describe those masks. The person in the middle has got black face on. They've had their skin blackened. It's not a African-Caribbean uh, features. It's definitely a white person with black makeup put on their face. But that's the only person who's revealed. And you have told me who that was. Now, bearing in mind this was 1971, and looking at the lips, I'm going to say that's Klaus Schwab. That is indeed Klaus Schwab. But what does this tell us? This is what we're meant to see. He is who we're meant to see, right? Everyone else is concealed. Yeah. So if Klaus Schwab is who we're meant to see, what are we not meant to see? We've said this quite often, time and time again, in fact, that as soon as someone puts their head above the parapet and becomes a mouthpiece for the plan, air quotes, you immediately know that individual is expendable and, and can be burnt because there's, there's, there's deeper um, power, influence and wealth behind those front men and women of the Great Reset. Yeah, indeed. My guess is that it is the old money Still, the, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, all of those combined and, and conjoined royal families that spread across Europe. I mean, the, the First World War was basically a, a bit of a disagreement between Queen Victoria's grandchildren. That's that's kind of the way it started, you know, that, that there was there was a direct relationship, uh, a blood relationship between the King of England and the Kaiser at the time including the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Their monarch was also related to the Habsburg family, to Queen Victoria. So there are these links, either through privileged wealth, in the case of royal families, and through greedily gained wealth, through banking, oil, railroads, and all those other kind of things that were in boom in the 1800s. And into the 1900s, into the 20th century as well. Uh, you had guys like Arm & Hammer, 
who was, uh, quote, Lenin's capitalist. You can go and read all about him. He is the guy that was, of course, his father was the one that took money from Lenin to set up the Communist Party USA in the US and set up those networks. Uh, and so he went into business, Arm and Hammer went into business and developed Occidental Petroleum, who, by the way, uh, split that company and the coal portion of that company was run by a guy named Al Gore Sr. That was after he left the Senate in the state of Tennessee. He was replaced by a young man by the name of Joseph Robinette Biden. You couldn't make it up. No, and and, and we wouldn't try. I mean, we are going over old ground here. We are. We know that, we know that these um, families are involved, but is that you know what is the ideology because they're they're involved uh, and they they've got their own gains out of everything that's happened particularly recently in the last four to five years you can identify where certain groups within this global elite um have benefited and gained but are they really all working together or are they as we've suggested in the past like uh, capos in the mob, and they're allowed to fight amongst each other as long as they give the kickback to the godfather, to the big boss. Nearest I can tell in this regard, that is possible. But what I believe is the driving force behind this, all of that was squashed right after the end of the Second World War. And I suppose without putting it off any further, I suppose we'll get into that. We've had a working theory here, and I had been hearing for quite some time now that, uh, and I, I had some of these books uh, laying around and I hadn't read them yet, or I just hadn't gotten to them because I have stacks and stacks of books and all kinds of other research that I do. But I kept hearing about uh, a guy by the name of uh, Anatoly Galitsyn. Galitsyn was a, uh, a major in the KGB, Russian Intelligence Services. He defected to the West in 1961. Interesting story about him. He defected here to tell us that our intelligence community had been infiltrated by the Russians. When they took him in for the initial interview, when they when they got a hold of him, the CIA guys, they took him back to the interview room and they sat down. There was, of course, several agents in there, special agents in there, and I think a couple of British intelligence guys as well, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken on that, but I don't think I am. Uh, I'd have to go back and read it. But they wanted to sit in on the, uh, on the debriefing process in the initial stages to see what uh, what this guy had to say. And he wouldn't talk. And they thought, what is the problem here? Right. So they pulled him out. And there must have been half a dozen or, or a, 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 ha between a dozen, a half a dozen and a dozen guys sitting in there ready to take notes and, and write things down in 61. And when they removed him from the interview room, they took him back to a, another place. And they were a couple of agents that were talking to him. They said, what's going on? Why aren't you, you know, you came here to, to talk to us. Why aren't you talking to us? And he says, I, I can't talk to you. He says, I can't talk to you in there. And they said, why not? He says, half the people in that room don't work for you. We had already been infiltrated. He was already memorized and briefed and reviewed the reports from the other side that these guys were already turned. In fact, now mind you, that was 61. In fact, it carries on so much today that within the intelligence services, most notably the CIA, it's known as the Galitzin effect. And that means if you give any credence to what this man had to say, then you're considered to be um, someone that doesn't have any credibility. You're 
ostracized within the agency. You're put in a back corner somewhere and no one will ever call you. No one will ever give you any papers to, to review. You won't, re- you won't be a, a person that publishes any books. You won't be anyone that can lead any meetings or take part in any special briefings. Your career, that's if you still have one, if they don't fire you, is essentially over before it starts. The issue I have with this is, uh, and I have told myself to treat everything with a healthy level of skepticism. And when a guy comes across, across the Iron Curtain, defects in 1961 and says your entire uh, intelligence network is compromised, he's either either telling the truth or he is telling a massive lie for a particular effect. And the effect would be that right when... Russia, uh, sorry, the Soviet Union were were pushing for more and the, the height of the Cold War, you would suddenly have your entire intelligence network across all of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, um, in fact, globally, any, anything other than the Soviet Union, would be conducting witch hunts. And no one works well or achieves good results when they're being investigated in that way. So I've given a longer explanation about the big lie, but at the same time, if he's telling the truth, then of course, whatever he has to say shouldn't be said to compromised organizations because it's it's going to be immediately the shutters will go up, planned defenses, planned alibis, planned excuses will be put into place. So it's it's very strange. What as an individual, what would he get out of it? I've, for my mind, at the moment, with my skepticism and considering both sides of the argument, and I haven't thought of a third side yet. I would say that the effect that Galitzin is it Galitzin Galitzin Galitzin, and I have heard the name before, but the the effect his debrief had would had and did damage our intelligence agencies. Yes, to an extent where, again, the man was ignored. He wasn't given any credibility. You know, they they even sent at, at the time, at once the Soviets had figured out that he defected and, and what he did, they sent defectors across to, quote, discredit the guy that they lost, right? So they sent people across to discredit Galitsyn. If you were Galitsyn yeah. um, and you wanted to defect, would you go straight into the arms of the the West intelligence agencies to get your story out to secure your safety because quite frankly if it if it was as overrun as he was suggesting then his life would be forfeit fairly rapidly yeah well if it's you follow enti- me well yeah, where, yeah, I where do. would you go where would you go well, I would go a lot of these guys to- didn't a lot of these guys didn't go to the US uh, a lot of them went to Canada. And a lot of them went to you guys in England. And the reason being, yeah. and some went to West Germany, the reason being is because our people wouldn't listen. They wouldn't be taken seriously. I, th- I think nowadays the, <laughs> a, a defecting intelligence agent would have nowhere to go because you couldn't go to the media. That's where I would have gone in 1961. I would have tried to find some way of getting that message out so that here I am, the whole world is seeing my face. If I die suddenly, then it will point the finger in a certain direction. So the first thing would be to hit the media 
And, and I'm sure that's probably what he would have done if he was um, coming with the truth, the whole truth. I am very much still in two minds about that whole scenario and and to what actually happened. Well, yeah, about what actually happened. I don't I don't know. Possibly he he outlines that uh, in his second book. Now, the first book that he wrote is one of I think the only one that I found thus far that has been reprinted and is widely available. It is on Amazon. It's called New Lies for Old. I believe it's between 20 and $30 euros or pounds. Uh, and so I would highly recommend anybody pick that up and take a look for yourself. In that book, he describes basically the process of disinformation that we have been under. This is another reason why he defected. He wanted to warn us of what was happening within the Soviet Union. So when Lenin came to power in 19... Uh, in 1917, they had a little bit of a problem. They tried to implement a socialist economy, and they figured out very quickly that it didn't work. They had to implement something called the new economic policy, or as we like to call it, capitalism. They just can't call it that because then they would have to admit right off the bat that communism didn't work. And of course, we couldn't do that. They just fought a revolution for it. So this allowed several things. This allowed Western private business to come in and allowed the uh, the Soviet Union to remain stable. And they used Western capital and Western military assistance and Western industrialists, along with British, German, and French industrialists, in order to have factories there to establish themselves. And they did it under the guise of deception. Lenin died in 1929. After which time you had a man rise to power. Took a few years for him to get there, but his name was Joseph Stalin. Guy was a bank robber. That's what he did before he was uh, before he was head of the Soviet Union. He was a he was a bank robber. You're robbing banks and now you're head of a country. Does that make you a good guy? I don't think so. There was a period of destabilization right after that. People were worried, you know, because you had a you had a dictator, and then of course you move straight into another dictator, and he consolidated his power later, and that's what we understand as Stalinism today. Well, when Stalin died there became another power struggle. You know, we skipped over the little part about the Second World War, but we'll get back to that at another time. We got more to talk about on that. We just don't have the time to do it today. But there became a power struggle after Stalin died. And of course, you had Nikita Khrushchev come to power after that. Khrushchev was faced with a big problem. You saw the denunciation of, of Stalin during the Khrushchev reign. The Western power structure took that as problems within the Soviet Union. But within the party, within the Communist Party, what that meant was is that they needed to discredit Stalin and to bury Stalinism, the cult of personality, the idea of a dictatorship. They had to bury that because they needed to get back to the fundamental principles of Marxist-Leninist ideas if they were going to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. There's other parts to this, and, and I'm, I'm not going to get into that right now, but uh, there's another book that you can check out. It's called Red Cocaine. It was written by a guy named Joseph Douglas, and he explains how the Soviet Union under Khrushchev during the same time period, they set out through Eastern Europe, through the satellite countries of the Soviet Union, and through uh, Central and South America, how they took over organized crime, and they took over the drug trade. And by the mid-1990s between China and Russia, they had two-thirds of the world drug trade already taken over. And, and we see the, the fallout of that even today. They use that as tools of revolution against us. The fentanyl crisis, the opioid crisis, the crack cocaine epidemic, the cocaine epidemic before that in the 1980s, they had already done research. But again, that's another topic. I'm talking right now about what Khrushchev did in order to unify the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. In 1955, 1956, and 1957, they decided within the party 
And when I say the party, I mean all parties. Understand very clearly, the communist movement is one movement. Just because it's China or the United Kingdom or Russia or the United States Cuba. or Canada, Cuba, Venezuela, doesn't matter. Does Australia, the communist movement is one movement. And I will explain. Before you had fights, after Stalin, you had, you had power struggles and, and arguments. That all ended during this time. They set out in the Soviet Union, in Moscow, in the Communist Party, they set out for a policy to be cemented in something called a long-range policy. In 1960, the 81-party Congress of the Soviet Union, when I say 81-party, that means there were 81 parties there that all agreed to it. They were going to take the West down by any means necessary and move forward with world communist revolution in the long-range policy. During this time, they were going to reverse infiltrate everything that we had. You got anything you want to weigh in on before I move on? No, other than the question in my mind is Khrushchev obviously had to become the, he still had to achieve, even though it wasn't about personalities, he still had to achieve the level of hero status to get everything moving in the direction he wanted. People still need leaders that they can look up to. And of course, he was pushing out militarily uh, as, as well as with these underhanded subversive tactics as well with um, drugs pushing communist ideologues into our education system. All of these things were happening at the same time. But of course, then you add the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was Khrushchev trying to get long-range ballistic missiles into Cuba. So all of these things that you're talking about that you've researched, yeah, they, they were definitely happening. But what I want to know about and, and don't understand is the the long range plan as you put it were the people making that plan the the real movers and shakers the heads of each party organization were they real ideologues were they really all for the people or was it ego driving them because the the scale of uh, of death and destruction and that that they were unleashing on the world because drugs kill people and it really messes things up having your education system subverted, not being able to trust your own government agencies really messes places up. So were they all for the people or were they actually ego-driven? That's, that's a question I don't expect you to be able to answer, but I think it's at the crux of, of how to combat it. Even today, we still need to know how to beat this long-term plan, which I do accept exists. Unfortunately, I don't believe, as you say, I'm going to be able to answer that because I don't know what was going on in their heads. The only thing that I do know is that there are more than one person. Obviously, you don't want to take one person's perspective from all this, right? So we're talking about Galitzin. Okay, that's one guy. Well, there's more. There are more people that defected that don't know each other, nearest I can tell, that said basically the same thing. When they devised this long-range policy, long-range strategy, long-range plan, whatever you want to call it, it was officially called, I believe it was long-range policy, long-range block policy. It was agreed to by the 81 parties were there, that were there, China included, I might add. What this stated was basically that all internal problems, whatever they had within parties, right? So whatever, whoever disagreed with who or 
whoever uh, didn't think that this was the way to socialism or this was the way to whatever to practice this, all of that was squashed. There was to be no more. It's kind of like these kind of meetings have happened in the past. And this one reminds me of the Council of Nicosia in 353 AD, I think the year was, when the entire Christian world at the time got together and decided what was going to be in the Bible and what wasn't going to be in the Bible. And that was the end of it. Once they'd made that decision, those books were, were stuck. And the same same with these kind of plans. But when you when you look at the evidence that we we've got and that we know today, you've got Klaus Schwab heading up the World Economic Forum, who clearly respects, if not idolizes, Lenin, but he's more than happy to socialize and talk with any Western capitalist leader, including our own sovereign. And I'm just for the benefit of the um oh, yes. of the listener, I'm just holding up a copy of The Light, which is uh an awake newspaper, front cover of the latest issue. Uh we've got a constitutional crisis because our soon to be crowned king is so very pally with Schwab. And I've absolutely no doubt that the crowned heads of Europe were also pally with some of these people that came to the fore within the Soviet Union. Those individuals don't just get there on their own. They have to have backing. There's lots of people that either need to be killed or paid to get you into that position. So so that's my that's my real question. Uh, and like you say, it's it's probably unanswerable, but whether or not they truly believe in communism, which is all about everyone doing their bit, everyone getting an equal share. But we can already see the, the kind of opulence that Putin is displaying, that even the old communist leaders displayed. Big, ostentatious offices, all the trappings of royalty. Basically, big desk. Are you are you talking about Putin's big desk? Well, that that that, that big desk is one example, but these places where that is a real it big is desk. a very big desk. If if you was a real communist, if you really believed in everyone doing their fair share, you would have uh, a twelve by twelve um, office with a a simple desk, grey painted walls, no adornments, because you don't spend money on your government offices you spend the money on things for the people but that's not the way it's gone every single leader in within the communist world has has gone down that route china hid it quite well but they're as opulent as any western society now you know so it's um it's a difficult one because you know the enemy are, are also probably the people that we all look up to in the west we, we well, can tell that our leadership are, are doing deals with these communist leaders. They are. And, and you know, all of this kind of plays into that. But uh, in, in the interest of time here, to kind of to kind of give you a little bit of an answer, I don't know if I can give you a definite one, but maybe this will kind of clear up some of it. 
all of these at the end of it, whether they believe in, in true communism or not, is I think is a, is a moot point. I don't think it matters. The fact is, is that they believe in revolution. They believe in communist revolution. They believe in the socialist revolution. And that's what it's all about. That's how they were able to convince everybody, look, this is what we're going to do. This is our long-term plan. Anything that we're going to do from here on out is only, and I mean only, and this is where it differs from the um, uh, the biblical uh, perspective that you that you laid out there, which you know I, I see where you're coming from on that. But this was all about disinformation purposes for us here in the West to put us into a position where we would become demoralized, reverse infiltrated, vulnerable, and ultimately collapse. That's what it was all about. Everything within our lifetimes. Think about that. Okay, so 1960s when this was solidified. Everything within that framework. Everything that they have done in the communist bloc has been within the framework of long-range policy. All of it. Everything. The Romanian independence prior to in 68, which we compared that to what's going on in Ukraine. Sounds awfully familiar. Yeah. You know, anybody can go and, and look these things up. Now, again, Galitzin wrote this in this book that I'm holding right here. Of course, the listener can't see it, but this is called New Lies for All. It was published in 1984. To my knowledge, this is the only one that has ever been reprinted. And that's why you can pick it up on the cheap. He also wrote a second book in, 1990, in 1992 called The Perestroika Deception, which is very difficult to find if you can find that one. I believe you can get it on Kindle for $8, but I don't trust Kindle. So I, you know, because they can change that stuff. So, you know, and Amazon's one of these companies. So if you can find a hard copy version of that, I would suggest that. But I haven't found a hard copy version of that for less than 175 Think about that. He wrote these books. And again, there, there was there's more. There was another defector who was uh, a general of the Communist Party, arguably could possibly have been uh, and was widely regarded as the protege of Nikita Khrushchev himself. And that was a guy from the Czech Republic named General Jan Sena. You can pick up his book. I'm holding his book. It, the, the name of the book is entitled We Will Bury You. This is available, if you can find it, for about 150 Or you can toddle on over to the National Archives and you can pick up a PDF copy free of charge. If you can get your hands on these books, you know, and he said basically the same thing. He and he talked about it in, uh, in Red Cocaine uh, that was written by him and Joe Douglas uh, about what they would planned in the framework of long-range policy as it related to uh, the, the drug trade, which he helped set up through the uh, Czechoslovakian uh, intelligence services, which he was over. So these uh, these plans that we've seen, the Sino-Soviet split, you'll read about that. You can go and look that up. That was a fake split. What was that all about? That was for us. That was designed as a disinformation campaign against us. Once that happened... It was a fake split. Once that happened, what did our Western leaders do? They're looking at it in terms of a communist country is run like a democracy. It is not. They are not. This is like Windows and Macintosh. They don't mix. You can't use them on each other's systems. They don't work the same way. The democratic line of thinking means, oh, well, I can go in there and I can exploit uh, a problem that they have. I can go in there and I can I can drive a wedge in between uh, that conflict that they've got going on. Not when you didn't know all of this long-range policy had already been agreed to. They're not going to move on that. You're not going to be able to facilitate a, a problem or, or aggravate a problem within that block. We went in and we buddied up with China because there was a, quote, Russia-China split. That caused the West to go in and start the business deals under Henry Kissinger, under Richard Nixon, 
to start the development of China. That was never supposed to happen. But we did it because we thought, oh, there's a split there. We will build up the other guy because we were at the height of the Cold War. By the way, I'm curious. You mentioned the Cold War, Marnie. When did that end? The reason I'm asking, I'm asking for a date. Give me a date. When was the armistice? When was the uh, the concession? Any of it? Well, it the, the whole point is that there would be no official end because it was an undeclared war. And it was fought through proxy wars, mostly backed by China, as it happens. But the constant revolution that, that you referred to earlier, I suppose most people would say that when the Berlin Wall came down and reunification Germany. Again, staged. That was staged. Uh, I, I I am open to suggestion on, on that. I'll explain. I, I'll explain. Continue. But what I was going to say further to the point, because you triggered my brain when you said the word revolution. One of the people we used to talk about a lot on the podcast, but we seem to have stopped because we'd hoped the old twat would be dead by now, is George Soros. And how did Soros make his money? He made his money in the fiat currency markets, basically knowing when to buy one particular currency and sell another. And the the way in which currency fluctuates in value is down to the stability of the countries who own that currency. And if you know that something is going to become unstable, you know it's going to fall. And if you've got an idea of how long that instability is going to last, you know it's going to rise again. So that's that's how he made his money through constant revolution, through constant stability, then periods of instability and and that's how he did it and if the real drivers behind this plan are still that old money you know the crowned heads of europe the capitalist uh business barons of the united states they need that constant revolution because during long periods where the common man can can produce things and 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 get paid well for his output his or her output after a while, the, the coffers swing the other way and there's more money in the hands of the people than there is in the hands of the bankers and the, and the multi-billionaires. And, and so they have to create this revolution to get the money going back the other way. Prime example being the, the pandemic, uh, COVID, the figure I heard for the UK cost the, the, the UK £450 billion. That may be double. In, in actual fact. And that's now all debt that the, the taxpayer will have to cover. So the, the stream is now flowing back the other way again, back towards the banks, back towards the financiers, back towards the elite. So that constant revolution is necessary. And I don't think that the long-range plan is actually really designed to ever end. There is no end game to the long range plan. It's just to keep this state of uh, of revolution happening, so that those who started off with all the wealth can keep all the wealth and still get the product, the output from the working populace. 
Well, the, I'm, the, sta- I'm sounding like a communist now. Yeah, but the, <laughs> that, well, we both know that you're not. There are flaws in this uh, in this system that they that they hope to achieve. I mean, the system itself, uh, for example, uh, if there is a uh, a world war, for example, you know, and let's say that Russia and China, which we're now seeing, which by the way, this was all planned, is there would be the split, and then they would later come back as quote one clenched fist. What are we seeing now? We're seeing that, aren't we? With the uh, the partnership with uh, this Xi is, and this is straight this is straight out of the playground. When you want to get someone separated and in a place where they can be beaten up, you pretend two friends have fallen out with each other. You get the the person that you want to beat up, and you say, "I'll oh, come down the park and play football with me." I'm not friends with that guy anymore. So off you go down the park, and then all of their mates are there, and they give you a good kicking. This is a this it's a playground tactic. I've I've experienced it. I've been I've been the one who got the kicking. So um, you know it's 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 a it's a bullying playground tactic to pretend not to be friends, to make a new friend, and then gang up on that friend. Yes, and that's exactly what they're doing. It's a great analogy you put there. Now, to explain, right? Let's let's talk about the uh, the reunification of Germany, right? Because this is something that uh, that Galitzin talked about, uh, and he wasn't the only one. But uh, the point of that was is that they thought that they were going to be able to snatch Germany away from the Western alliance when the wall came down. That was the point of bringing the wall down. Every survey that they took at the time in the Soviet Union said that they were going to be able to absorb what government they had established in the West. That never happened. Or the East was going to be much further integrated into the West. That never happened. They had the, uh, the quote, elections, and everyone sided with the conservative side, quote, conservative side in Germany. That wasn't supposed to happen. The Germans... The, the the people that were supplanted by the Soviet Union into the West, they fell foul of human nature. They enjoyed being in a capitalist society where you didn't have to queue for everything, where you didn't have to live in the same kind of accommodation as everybody else, where well, the heating was, was run. Yes. Yeah. This was the thought process, you know, though, is that this was the fallacy. It, it, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying that this was the fallacy of the uh, uh, the Western power brokers thinking that they could go over and they could implement this type of system through these, quote, criminal organizations they call governments. And they said, well, we'll just make them capitalist and they'll enjoy that so much they'll abandon communism. They didn't. But, well, I've always said they're using communism as a tool. If you want to motivate uh, a, a downtrodden populace, tell them that they're all going to get a fair share of everything, and that will motivate your populace. So that that builds your your base of support. Well, with the German case, but though, they, they, they don't do believe they, they don't believe do in it themselves. That's that. That's what I think. But I'd still like to know a definite answer. I don't think they really believe in communism themselves. No. They're still back to the Orwellian Animal Farm. That no, wasn't him who wrote Animal Farm, was it? Yeah, it was. Um, it was him. Yes, I thought yep. it, I thought it was. Yeah. Sometimes I doubt myself. Some animals um, are smarter than the other animals. Yeah. Yeah. All animals were created equals, but some more equal than others. That's the problem. They'll they'll use the dream of of a completely equitable society to motivate a support from the people who they need. They really do need. But at the same time, still want that opulent, rich lifestyle. So they're they're victim of the, of their own greed, um, their their own avarice. I think the Bible says something along the lines of 
evil is the seed of its own destruction and communism is the seed of its own destruction as well and can't because produce people anything. well people will get fed up with it if there's no incentive to make a good product or or produce goods that well yeah but you're looking at it i i I agree with you but you're looking at it in terms of a western capitalist that's not the way that those societies are run and anyone that dissents against that is is you know stomped and thrown into a uh, prison camp but again land if you have land is sufficient enough to meet your own needs obviously in the modern world you need electricity so you've got to raise some extra cash to pay for that you what you're not going to get that for free if you want to drink clean fresh water and have it supplied to you you've got to pay for that somehow if you're not going to grow every type of food on your land uh, that you possibly want to eat you're going to have to buy that from somewhere so you still wind up having to have something that you can trade with some kind of product and it, even if that product is your intellect your your intellectual output it has to be, ha, have a value put on it and and you have to be able to trade with that to get the other things you need. This is why communism really is the seed of its own destruction. Because if there's no incentive to do a little bit more for yourself, because it will get taken away and shared out equally amongst everybody, people do less and less and less. The only other option they've got is fear. We get taught in military leadership to either be the nice guy all the time or be an absolute bastard all of the time because what people don't like is the inconsistency so you can either get things done through fear which get it gets them done but they get done more slowly they're not done as well or you can get things done because they like you and they want to do it for you they respect you that's the situation that kills off the the whole communist idea that everyone in the factory is working for the greater good I'm pretty sure if a time and motion guy went round a North Korean factory, they'd find loads of ways in which that work could be improved. Yet they're supposed to be the the model, the very model of, of a completely communist socialist society. Yes, and this is precisely why their systems will not work, especially if they get themselves into an economical problem or into another major conflict, because they are still dependent on us, whether they like it or not, whether they want to admit it or not, they're still dependent on us for money, production, and technology, of which they cannot produce any of. So to further on to the point of the reason they brought down the wall in Germany, again, to reunify the country, but they thought they were going to reunify it on their terms. They thought they were going to be able to drive a wedge, have it leave NATO... Instead, what are they doing right now using that that Macron fella, you know, thinking that this is a, a time that we need to be siding with China. We need to be making peace with China. Son, you're over there with what, what does he think he is? Neville Chamberlain? Peace in our time? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I cannot fathom the stupidity that I'm seeing. I can't get over what I'm actually seeing in the, in the supposed alternative media. I saw an article out of The Telegraph, an op-ed piece out of The Telegraph. I was talking to you about it in prep. And there is an alternative conservative media outlet saying the only people that want war with China are the Western neocons. China's just trying to defend itself. Um, China wants to destroy you, sir. Do you not understand? The, the idea that, that these countries are model societies, I cannot even shake people out of that delusion. That is the problem with these disinformation campaigns, is that it's so grand of a deception that you would never believe it. Who in the German populace would look at me and say, yep, I believe you. 
They brought the wall down on purpose and the whole thing was faked. Who would believe that they faked the collapse, collapse, I'm doing the air quotes, collapse of the Soviet Union? Where was the denunciation of the communist system by all the leaders that formed a parliament after that? Where were the trials of the millions of people that were killed in the gulags after that? They never took place. You didn't get any form of acknowledgement from any of the victims of that hellish system. They just changed the signposts. Look at the KGB. The FSB is what we have now. It's in the same building. They changed the sign on the office door. Yeah, it's <laughs> rebranding. Yeah. New livery, new letterheads. That is one of the best industries to, to get into, by the way, or used to be printers, people who provide stationery to, to oh, companies. I thought you were going to say intelligence, but okay. State intelligence services. I, I worked for, started off with a company called 9X, then Cable and Wireless, and then MTL. So I had those three jobs. I had different uniform to wear. I had different business cards. Uh, but I had the same desk and the same computer in the same office because that's how many times in the space of a few short years those businesses changed hands. It's, it's all about, you know, a moving target is harder to hit. Uh, and it's the way in which control of of things moves around. So at one point you think it's, you know, you, you know who you're working for, but then things change and, and you're not so sure anymore. For for example, I mentioned this in prep, and I'd, I'd just like to get it out in this 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 week's one. We had the UK telephone alert um, test uh, last Sunday, and um, it's just amazing that the the app that is on everybody's phones, but most people disabled it. So at three o'clock on Sunday, when this very noisy alarm went off that is supposed to warn us of of some catastrophe. Um, most people didn't get it, but the app was developed by or under license to Fujitsu, who subcontracted to Infosystems, who the owner of Infosystems just happens to be the father-in-law of the UK Prime Minister. So absolute nepotism, keeping it all in the family, no doubt a billion, maybe two billion to do the the development of of the app for everyone's phone in the UK, uh, and it it just happens to be the the prime minister's father in law who pockets most of that change. So yeah, we we don't know who who we're working for, or even our own governments. We we really don't know what they believe because it seems to me at the moment every politician who's getting anywhere is linked directly to the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum is led by a man of very dubious background who appears to be someone who highly respects Lenin. And therefore, we must assume that he's got a communist ideology. But again, I I, I believe well, it's a case of well. using communism. Yeah. And well, let's let's go back even further than that. And, you know, in the interest of time, I think we're going to have to uh, to call this one done. But uh, there's going to be more to come on this. This is just our initial foot in the door. This is just what we needed to confirm and, and where we are uh, and what we're seeing. But uh, yes, that, that's that's what it is. If you look at the World Economic Forum, I go back to what I said many podcasts ago. I said the more and more I'm looking at it, everything that they're promoting, you'll own nothing. You'll be happy about it. You're going to have all your products and services and you're going to 
have shared living spaces and common places and all the rest of it. As I'm looking at all of that, I'm thinking this sounds like a way of implementing uh, Marxism. I mean, that that sounds like what what Marx talked about in in the uh, the Communist Manifesto. This this type of thing, and this is kind of what they had in uh, in the Soviet Union. But they're overlaying like this technocracy and this digital future with it, uh, and they've got all of the financiers, the banks, the academics, the politicians, and and the um, uh, the bureaucrats and everybody else involved in this, the NGOs, the startups. And then you look at Klaus Schwab. The World Economic Forum, in my honest opinion, just looking at the evidence, right, just looking at what we've been able to ascertain in our research here. And again, you know, I'm not saying that we are on the right track. I'm saying that we believe we're on the right track, right? I'm not, I'm not saying this is the, the be-all, end-all truth of everything. It's up to every individual to Take the information that we're presenting. We're pointing you in where we got our information that you can get as well. And you make up your own mind. But this is just one take on it. But based on everything that we're seeing, I don't see how it could be anything else. The World Economic Forum, in my opinion, is a communist front. It was a simple point to put someone like Klaus Schwab in place to have everyone join up so they could reverse infiltrate all of our institutions after the long range policy had been implemented 11 years prior to that. They needed a way to get into our institutions even deeper. They needed a way to compromise people within the different structures of those institutions. That's what they needed, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. So they picked their guy that they already had in pocket. There was a triple agent from Poland that defected to the UK. His name was Michael Golanewski. You can look him up. He fingered Henry Kissinger as a GRU operative. Henry Kissinger was put in charge of the, quote, denazification of Western Germany. He was put in charge of a counterintelligence office. And what we know is our officers, our military intelligence at the time, were working with Soviet intelligence because, well, we were allies, weren't we, after the war was over. And who was the, who was the, uh, the star pupil at Harvard University of Henry Kissinger? Oh, it was a guy named Klaus Schwab, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. The degree that is given to Harvard University, one honorary degree that is given to the Harvard University student that takes part in the CIA-funded program, which Henry Kissinger was over, they give it to one student every year. You only have one shot to get it, and they gave it to Klaus Schwab. So that, at least within our modern history, is what we have been able to run down. Now, again, I'm not saying that this is the only avenue out there, but this is what makes the most sense to us. We're looking at the World Economic Forum. Everybody's talking about the World Economic Forum. That's because we're meant to see it. We're not meant to see everything that I just named. Anybody within these institutions, these these intelligence institutions, have been given false images over the last 70 to 80 years. They have been given false doctrines, disinformation. When you get false images fed to you, you make false decisions, don't you? This shapes your mindset. This causes you to develop entrenched policies, which lead to institutional misconceptions. And what comes out of that? Political convenience. Oh, we can't talk about that. We can't discuss that because that goes against the agenda. Well, that agenda has led us into the jackpot. Now, my question to all of these soon-to-be-bankrupt profits on the so-called alternative media, you have millions of dollars in some of these alternative media outlets, hundreds of thousands of dollars, armies of writers, producers, research teams. Why can't you figure this out? Why can't you have your people look into even a part of this? Why can't you have people examine even the thought of it? 
Instead, it's Klaus Schwab. It's the World Economic Forum. It's those damn Democrats. It's that damn Labor Party. It's those damn Tories. That's what it all comes down to is we're back to playing the political game that doesn't mean anything. I want substance. I want investigation. I want accountability and I want prosecutions and I want this stopped. That's what I want. Because if we do not stop it, this is not a matter of of what these um, uh, these infiltrated, compromised hacks within the government say as, well, d- January 6th, that's subversion. We're talking about national survival at this point because of these people's ignorance. Anatoly Galitsyn said the West suffers from three problems, ignorance, ignorance, and ignorance in no specific order. Based on our research thus far, and we've got more to do, I don't disagree with that statement. Marty, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today, and I hope we'll see you back next week, yes? Yeah, you sure will. You sure will. It is eye-opening, and it, it, it does concern me, because none of us want to scrabble back from a situation where we've lost everything and have to regain it. The problem is, with what you just said about investigations, inquiries, and action, all of those things require the establishment. They require the establishment to conduct them. No, no, that's not what I mean. I I, I agree with you. Yes, it requires the establishment. But in this case, that's not what I mean. I understand. But that's something that would come after if you have accountability. What I simply mean here is, is that you don't need money you don't need armies of, of lawyers and, and litigation and, and all of that. You don't need that in order to fight this. These people, these these Marxist revolutionary bastards, they cannot stand exposure. That's all that needs to happen here. If you openly call them out on their traitorous, treasonous activities here in the West, not to mention what's coming from Russia and China, if you call that out, they will scatter like cockroaches at dawn. Yeah. I see what you mean, and it would give me the greatest pleasure to to be someone that exposed one of that those those vermin, basically. Yeah, I know the woke brigade will say, "Oh no, you mustn't reduce people down to the level of vermin and so on." Shut up! But Literally, what else would you shut, call? Just what you else tell would them to you shut call? Up. What else would you call somebody who is prepared to unleash a? gain-of-function virus on all of mankind so that they could use a very harmful fake vaccine on us. They're vermin. There, There is no other way to describe them. But anyway, as you say, we are getting close to time. I apologise if I've waffled on. Um, I've loved everything you've said, although I'm still digesting it, and I'll be here next week. And we look forward to your considered and informed opinion that we're all welcome to. Marty, I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Tuesday of next week. We will be back with a full schedule, minus Monday, of course. So we will see everyone next week. 